Um, do you guys ever notice when we pray that prayer? It's a beautiful prayer, but lavender-scented forgiveness. Did you ever notice that? What do you think that is? What is lavender-scented forgiveness? The sweet smell of what? Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's what, I'll keep praying it, I suppose. Um, all right, I'm going to read. I do love it. I'm going to read uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There's a time for everything. Everything on earth has its special season. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pull up plants. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to destroy and a time to build. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to be sad and a time to dance. There's a time to throw away stones and a time to gather them. There's a time to hug and a time not to hug. There's a time to look for something and a time to stop looking for it. There's a time to keep things and a time to throw things away. There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. There's a time to be silent a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. How many, who's heard this before? Who's heard this one? How many people have heard it because of the song? You know the song? Less people. Um, it's cool, yeah. I, that's, you should, I told you you should have sang that song, Jube. Okay. Um, rhythms. Yeah, we all have rhythms. Uh, we have a rhythm of our life. I'm sure right now, the way you woke up this morning, there was a certain rhythm to what you did. Uh, the way you woke up, the way you ate, the way you got in the shower, the way you brushed your teeth, whatever it is, there are rhythms to our lives. And rhythms often get disrupted, right? Rhythms in life often get disrupted. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about disrupted and messed up rhythms. Now, um, a few things have happened recently. Uh, someone who we didn't think could be president became our president. Uh, if you're a sports fan, the New England Patriots came back from a 28-point deficit, which has never been done before, uh, to win the Super Bowl. And then at the Oscars, there was the fiasco where they said La La Land was the, um, the winner, but it was really Moonlight. These are disruptions of rhythm. I read this beautiful article in The New Yorker. It was awesome. That said, based on these three things that have just happened, it's most likely that we are living in a matrix. And these are glitches in the matrix. <laughs> and like, right? Like, what if? Like, what if like, someone's just messing with us right now? Super crazy. Um, because we don't like our disrupted rhythms. We don't like rhythms that are disrupted. We don't like rhythms that um, uh, are difficult or disorienting. Okay, so we all have difficult and disorienting, disorienting rhythms. We just do. Okay, that's part of life. Here's what the writer says about these difficult and disoriented rhythms. He says, I decided that God leaves it this way to test people and to show them they're just like animals. The same thing that happens to animals and to people. They both, tend, they both have the same breath, so they both die. People are no better off than animals because everything is useless. Both end up the same way. Both come from dust and both will go back to dust. Remember, the writer of Ecclesiastes is an emo kid who listens to Morrissey in his downtime. Okay? So, uh, you know, this is something that's a little bit, uh, we're going to get some useless, this is all pointless kind of talk, right? And that's how he feels right now, and he's got a certain point, right? We go through these rhythms. We have these rhythms to our lives. Sometimes they're disrupted, sometimes they are not, but we still have them. And then what happens? We die. We die. That's what happens. Who here? Raise your hand if you know your great-great-grandparents. Yeah. Or not personally, just who they are and what they did. Oh, okay, more of you. Good, I got nervous. Yeah, like three of you. Like three or four of you. There's a room here, probably 30, and three or four of you know who your great-great-grandparents are. Like, that says something, right? We, we do not, we go through these rhythms. Your great-great-grandparents went through these rhythms. They died, and most of us, including me, do not know who they are. It's useless. It's pointless, right? We are going to have great-great-grandkids who are not going to know us. We're just going to be some, like, biological factor that allowed them to be who they are in this life. 
useless. It's pointless. We're going to die. We feeling good yet? How's everybody feeling? So that's what's being talked about here. What's being talked about is we have these rhythms. They're upsetting, disorienting, they're crazy, and they're useless, and we're going to die. And I think, like, to the, this writer's credit, there's times I feel that way about the rhythms of my life. I feel like uh, they can go any number of ways. Full disclosure, there are times when I deal with depression. And when I deal with depression, the rhythm of, of waking and sleeping, that gets messed up. I don't really feel like getting out of bed sometimes. I don't really feel like I want to go to sleep sometimes. I can't get to sleep. That is a rhythm that's disorienting. I think uh, there are those of us here who have uh, experienced uh, abuse. And I think this is one of the worst rhythms because those, who, those of us who have been abused, we deal with this rhythm of guilt and shame and pain and hurt. And it's like, what for what? Like, why are we dealing with that rhythm? What about a rhythm of loss? We continue to lose. Like, we lose family, we lose friends, we lose a relationship, we lose a house, we lose a job, what, you know, this loss, but it's there. And so we go through like the, the second guessing and the frustration and the anger and it's this rhythm that we go through and it's disorienting or disorient. Yeah, I'm saying that right, disorienting. Miscarriage, infertility, why? Every month going through that, feeling that pain. It's a terrible rhythm to have to go through. And so, of course, the writer says, it's all useless. It's all pointless. It doesn't make any sense. We're all going to die anyway. Why are we having to do any of this? And so what happens is we hit this place where we feel like the whole thing's pointless. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. Now, if you were here, who was here the first week when I talked about vapor? Who was here? I talked about vapor management. Remember when I talked about vapor management? Christians, once again, Christians, we are really, really good at trying to manage the writer of Ecclesiastes. In fact, we don't like the writer of Ecclesiastes very much, right? We don't. So when these rhythms, when these disorienting, uh, yeah, the, the rhythms that disorient us, when they're there, what we try to do is we try to manage these rhythms as well. So when something terrible is going on and we're living in a rhythm or a cycle of grief and pain, we tend to say things like, don't worry, God's in control. How many of you have said that to somebody else? What a privileged thing for all of us to say. Let's tell a kid in Aleppo who just lost his family because of a bomb, hey, it's okay, God's in control. Like, that's not something we want to hear. Right? We don't want to deal with that when we're dealing with this disorientation. We don't want that. Right? But yeah, that's how Christians try to manage it. It's how I try to manage it. Right? God's in control. No, that doesn't work. It, it, it says that what we're dealing with doesn't matter or it's not important. We're dismissing it, and that's not what I want to do. The other thing we do, which I mentioned before, we talk about heaven, right? We're all going to heaven anyway. And I, yes, that's going to be great when we all go to heaven. But you know what? Christ came here to earth and said, hey, the kingdom of heaven's here. You're now called to make this place peace or bring peace to this place. So when we say, oh, don't worry about it, we're all going to heaven anyway. This pain, this ridiculous rhythm's on its way out. It's like, well, but God came here as human and asked us to bring peace to it, so we're going to discount that. So the vapor management, the pain management that we try to take care of, this rhythm management doesn't necessarily work. So it sort of leaves us in this weird spot, in this weird spot of doubt and anger and confusion. And raise your hand if you have ever been angry or have doubted God. Raise your hand if that's happened. I'm proud of you guys. This is good. Now, here's what some of us do, not any of you in this room. But here's what some of us do. When we get to a place where we're angry and we've doubted God and we feel like it's all futile, when the things that we expected, when the rhythms we expected don't work out the way they thought, we tend to throw God away completely. We tend to throw church away completely. And I say this, and I say it a lot, not necessarily as a warning, but more as a challenge to you guys. There have probably been 50 people in our church since we started four and a half years ago who in one way or another said, you know what? The rhythm of my life, the way my life's working out is not what I thought it would be. 
and I don't really believe in God anymore because of it, and so I'm going to leave the church. And I'm like, you, you missed it. That's only half of it. Okay? We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because this writer of Ecclesiastes, believe it or not, in the midst of his rhythm talk and in the midst of his talk about um, uh, you know, all of it being useless is going to give us some hope here. All right? So let's talk about the hope that we're going to get. You guys want to hear a little hope? But here's the deal. Yeah, me too. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he, he, I, I love what he does, right? Because he sort of says, you know, he goes to like the religious people. He goes to God. He goes to the culture. He goes to theology. And he's like, I'm not going to play by your game. I'm going to call it what it is. And it all sucks. Okay, I'm just going to call it what it is. And then he goes through and he continues to say that until the very end. At the very end, we get something completely different. This is what it says at the very end. We're going to go jump all the way to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Finally, he says, words from wise people are like sharp sticks used to guide animals. They're like nails that have been driven in firmly. Altogether, they are wise teachings that come from one shepherd. Now, be careful, my son, about other teachings. People are writing books and too much study makes you tired. <laughs> yes. But now everything that has been heard, I give my final advice. Honor God. Obey his commands. Because this is all people must do. Okay, so what the writer does is he says, yeah, this is all for naught, this is all painful, this is all useless, we're all going to die, and yet at the very end of the day, I honor God in all that I do. Why? Why do I do that? Well, first off, let's talk about how the narrator or the writer says that he is wise. I like this, because there's some wisdom in anger, there's some wisdom in doubting God, there's some wisdom when things aren't going our way, when our rhythms are skewed, there's some wisdom when we don't want to get out of bed, there's some wisdom when we are feeling that depression, when we do feel that loss. There is wisdom. This is the beginning of wisdom, right? This is it. And so he talks about a sharp stick. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about shepherds. They had their staffs. You guys, did you guys know they had like little barbs on the bottom of their staffs? I didn't know this until I read the commentary. They had, that's messed up. They had barbs on the bottom of their staffs, and when a sheep would get like, going the wrong direction or off course, they'd take their staff and they'd, go, they'd pop them with those barbs, and it would be painful, but the sheep would get back on course. The sheep would go back to where the sheep needed to go. And so what this writer is saying is everything I've talked to you about, all the pain, all the difficulties of the rhythms, all the uselessness, you know what? It's wise. It's good. But you know what else it is? It's a stick that sort of gets me back on point. That gets me sort of seeing who God is all over again. That gets me closer to God, and I love that. I love that he's, that he's called wise. This is what um, a professor who happens to be a professor at my alma mater says about this. He says, when you reach this point where things simply make no sense, when our thinking about God and life no longer line up, and when any sense of certainty is gone, and when we find absolutely no reason to trust God, but we still do, well, that's what trust looks like at its best and its brightest. When we are writing these Ecclesiastes, because we all can write one. We all can write one of these. And when we're writing them, and we, we're like, this doesn't look anything like I thought it would look. It's a mess. It's useless. That's when we begin to trust. That's when we begin to see God at work. That's when we say, okay, this is where God does the infinite and unimaginable. It goes against what we think. It goes against how we operate. We want to know Make sure our rhythms are good all the time. Uh, there's a story uh, about a, a, pro a professor and a seminary student, and the seminary student walks in one day, and he goes, hey, uh, I'm going to leave seminary. And the pro professor goes, why? He goes, because this is all absurd. Like, none of it makes any sense to me. He goes, I do not believe in the virgin birth. In fact, the rhythms of my life have been so messed up since coming here that I, that I, I just can't. I'm done. It's not what I thought. And the professor starts to laugh. And he's like, why are you laughing at me? 
And the professor goes, of course you don't believe. And he goes, well, he goes, well, why are you laughing? The professor goes, because I've ruined basically everything you've always thought. Like, I've messed up your rhythm, you know? And he goes, well, what should I do? And the professor goes, choose to believe. I used to hate that. When I would read that, I'd be like, choose to believe. I want to know. I want to know what's going on. And nobody should tell me to have to choose to believe. Like, God should make himself evident to me in all my rhythms. That's how it should be. But this is what Ecclesiastes tells us, and it's so important that I want to read it. Ecclesiastes tells us that we never have to know what to believe, but rather we trust God even when we have no clue what to believe and when all before us is absurd. I'm going to say it again. Ecclesiastes never says you've got to know what you to believe, but rather trust God even when you have no clue what to believe and even when it all before you is absurd. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing. He's challenging us to look beyond knowing, to look beyond the rhythm into something greater. Ecclesiastes is why I am a Christian. I'm serious. Ecclesiastes is why I'm a Christian. Ecclesiastes is why I'm not a universalist. Ecclesiastes is why I believe in Jesus. It's why I believe in the death and resurrection. I'm going to explain to you why, okay? Because this gospel message, it's got Ecclesiastes written all over it. It does. I'm going to tell you how. I'll tell you about some people. There were a couple of terrorists. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Crazy. They would kill people. They would fight other people, be people close to death. They were nuts. There's this other guy, right? A couple other guys, in fact, they were on that show, Deadliest Catch. You know that show? Where they're fishermen, but they're slightly nuts. They're slightly crazy, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a couple of women who were probably forced into the sex trade, and they were prostitutes. There was another guy who was an extortionist. He was a tax guy. What he would do is he would, he would call up fake audits, and then when you said this audit is fake, he said, oh, I can make it real unless you pay me. Like the worst kind of extortionist, right? Messing with our taxes. Jerks. But yet all these guys find hope. All these people find hope. So the, the, the deadliest catch guy, the extortionist, the, the terrorist, the, the prostitutes, they all find hope. So they start this new rhythm. They follow this man around. And this man teaches. And the, the teachings are incredible because this man says, last shall be first, first shall be last. And there are nine classes in, the, in their time. And in, in those nine classes, only two, the top two classes are the only ones that ever get any respect. And what Jesus is saying, no, everyone's included. Everyone gets respect. Everyone is a child of God. And this is amazing. So the rhythm continues. They follow him to the next place where miracles take place, miracles with people who should never have miracles um, um, done to them, people who are dirty and unclean and have sinned before God, and, and yet this is what happens. And, and so the, the, you know, the, the terrorists and the, the deadliest catch guys and the extortionists and the prostitutes, they see it, they watch it, and this is part of their life. It's part of their rhythm. They know. They know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next? They know it. This guy is going to become a king. And this guy is going to make Israel mighty again. And because he's already affirmed us as people, he's going to affirm all the classes, not just two of them. And then this guy goes, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. And everybody goes, no. Because that's where you're going to get killed. You're going to get killed if you go there. Jesus goes, I know. He goes there. And he gets killed, just like they said, gets killed. And now the deadliest catch guys and the terrorists and the prostitutes and the extortionists, they all have to scatter. And can you see them writing in Ecclesiastes right now? There was a time for teaching and a time for healing. There was a time for traveling and a time for sleeping. There were a time for crowds and a time just for us. There was a time for all of it. And now it's all gone. And now I'm going to die. I'm going to die next. This is all useless. This is all pointless. They could have written Ecclesiastes. They could have. So what did they do? They all ran. They scattered. But then what happens? Y'all in a Christian church, somebody tell me what happens. I'm serious. 
Jesus comes back. Thank you. You guys are like, I hope that's right. <laughs> Jesus comes back. Jesus is resurrected. So word gets out that he's resurrected. And so all of a sudden, all these people start coming back. And this is the best part of the story. This is the reason that I'm a Christian. Because when the prostitute comes back, she comes back and she sees this gardener. And she's like, gardener, do you know where Jesus is? And Jesus goes, Mary. And she goes, oh, it's you, teacher. Like, I didn't recognize you. And then um, the, the, the you know, deadliest catch guy, Peter, he's in a boat and he sees a ghost walking to him on the water and he's freaked out. He's like, turn this boat around now. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait a second. Oh, that, oh that's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I didn't recognize you. And then he jumps in to walk on the water, right? Right, that's what happens. And then uh, there's this guy, Thomas. What do we call him? Doubting. doubting. Poor guy. Everybody was doubting. That guy got screwed. And they call him that. And, and because he, he didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus. It didn't look the way he thought it was going to look. And then there's two guys walking down the road to Emmaus. They're walking down the road. And, they, they, and they're like, what? and Jesus comes alongside. And he goes, what's wrong? He goes, haven't you heard? Jesus died. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah? And he breaks some bread. And it's Jesus. And here's what I'm getting at, okay? We have these ideas. We have these plans, right? We have plans where we're going to go and our rhythms are to go and heal and there's going to be miracles and the Messiah is going to come and the Messiah is going to uh, uh, make us great again and we're going to sit on the Messiah's right and left. We have these uh, rhythms and then they get disrupted and disoriented and they're useless and we want to die and then, and then they are resurrected. And they never look quite like we want them to look. They're never quite what we had figured out. Never quite what we planned. But they're resurrected, and they're beautiful, and they're flourishing. This is Ecclesiastes. The gospel message is Ecclesiastes. How many people, come on, raise your hand with me. How many of us have had our rhythms thwarted? How many? Thank you. Yes, because we all have, because this is life, and life will do this to us. And how many of us get angry and upset and depressed, and we're like, maybe I should move back home, or maybe I should do something else, or maybe I need to break up with so-and-so, or maybe we're never going to have kids, and whatever, might, whatever we might say, like, this is where we're at. We're like, there, I, this doesn't make sense. What I thought I knew, the rhythm I thought I knew does not make sense. This church, if you would have asked me a year ago, did I think Manhattan and Brooklyn were going to go through a, the financial split we went through, I'd have been like, what are you talking about? Right? That wasn't in the plans. It doesn't make sense. But here's what does make sense. When we're ready to give it all up, we're ready to say it's all useless, when we're ready to walk away, here comes Jesus as a gardener, as a man walking down the street, as a ghost on the water, resurrected. Our plans get resurrected, little by little, never looking exactly what we thought they would look like. But they're more beautiful than we could ever imagine. This is Ecclesiastes. This is the good news of Lent. You know what my favorite, uh, my favorite well, no, it's not my favorite day of the year. It's my least favorite day of the year. It's my most hopeful day of the year. You want to know what it is? It's December 21st. That is winter solstice. And on winter solstice, there's eight hours of sunlight and 16 hours of darkness. It's the darkest day of the year in New York City. And on winter solstice, here's what I know. This is going to be the darkest day. But every day after is going to be a little bit lighter. And every day after, the things that were dead are going to start growing again. And though we don't believe it this week, every day after, the weather gets a little better <laughs> until climate change comes along. And every day after, every day after, there's growth and there's beauty until we come to spring, until we come to a place where things are flourishing. And it's surprising and it never looks like we thought it would. It makes all the difference. So, 
in your life, your rhythms, they're disrupted. Right now, there's a rhythm in your life that's disrupted. What is it? Maybe um, it's a new job. Maybe it's a, a breakup. Maybe it's a new baby. Maybe it's something. What's, what's, the new, what's disrupting? It's not what you thought it would be. Can you imagine? Can you close your eyes and imagine right now that this is not useless, that it's not over, that the anger you feel today is not the anger you're going to feel for the rest of your life, that the pain you feel today is not the pain you're going to feel the rest of your life, that the frustration you feel today is not the frustration you're going to feel the rest of your life, that there is something different happening in your life. There's resurrection. It might not look anything like you thought it would look, but it's better and more beautiful and more flourishing than anything you could imagine. That is the promise that we have in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this, the people that are around us. Thank you for this community, for this church. Thank you that you... You know, thank you that you are at work when everything else feels like it's failing. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you that we get to worship you in the resurrection. Thank you for unexpected surprises. Thank you for surprising your disciples and giving us a template. Thank you for poking us with sticks to get us back on course. Thank you for the pain so that we might experience flourishing. Thank you, God. I pray this in your name. Amen.